0: Thanks for tuning into to this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Uh, Romans, Romans chapter 4. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. This is about our 10th week, and we're in the fourth chapter, so we're taking our time and we're working our way through the book of Romans. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, just so you know, we have them on high-top tables out in the lobby. You can get them in English and Spanish. Make sure you check which one you're grabbing. But when you get that, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, if you would. If you're new or guest or a visitor, I just want you to know we won't be going up and down the whole morning. Uh, but when this is our tradition, and that's all it is. It's a tradition, but it's symbolic for us because we stand recognizing that this is God's word and God is now going to speak. And I, I think you should listen expectantly in that I believe for everybody in the house and for everybody who's online this morning, and including myself, God has a word for you. God has a word for me. And I believe he wants to speak it this morning. I think we just need to come hungry and we need to come expectant. I'm going to start in verse 9. And just so you know, it kind of starts out with a question. We'll connect the dots in a minute. This is verse 9. Paul speaking says, now, is this blessing only for the Jews or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Verse 11, circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They're counted as righteous because of their faith. Verse 12, and Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Verse 13. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Verse 16, so the promise is received by faith. Let's pray. So, Father, we are trusting you this morning as we come. We worship you. We give praise to you, O God. We declare your greatness. We declare that you alone are righteous and holy. And uh, we believe you have a word for us, for each of us. Everybody in the room, regardless of where they came from or, or what their station in life is, God, you have a word. And so now, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, our, our message this morning is on faith. Maybe no message at all. It's usually operator error. But our message is on faith, and I think it's real easy to say, oh, well, it's always on faith. Of course it's on faith. This is, this is a house of faith. This is, this is the Christian faith. We always talk about faith. Don't we always talk about faith? And the challenge for me is this, that we bring into this conversation so many preconceived ideas of what it means to to have faith. what, What does faith really mean to us? We have so many preconceived ideas. And I believe that what happens is we bring those preconceived ideas in to the extent that what you say when you mean faith and what I say when I mean faith is very different than what the Bible says or what the Bible means when the Bible says faith. Right? We come with these preconceived ideas. And so I think what we really want to talk about this morning is not just faith. We want to talk about biblical faith. What is biblical faith? The, the term gets so generic, right? It, it's just like good old faith, any old faith. We just think of it very generically. And I think it's important that we distinguish. Look, I have faith that the Vikings will someday win a Super Bowl. Uh, a lot of you have faith that this will be the last snow. I say faith and some of you folks start thinking country music Right? Faith has so many different connotations. And so we don't want to just talk about faith. We want to talk about biblical faith, and and here's the reason why. Because I think really well-meaning Christians, well-meaning pastors, well-meaning believers who work downtown, I think really well-meaning teachers or well-meaning Sunday school teachers, we, we have good intentions, but here's what I think happens, and this is the problem. Sometimes because the way that we talk about faith, I believe there are some of you here this morning, you don't normally go to church and you just popped into church, and you're not even sure why. You got invited and you came to church? But faith isn't something that you really think is for you. Maybe you got a little curious, and so you came on in. And maybe you're watching online, and you would say the same thing. Maybe you're somebody here this morning who said, Oh, no, I used to be into this faith thing. I, I really did. But then you were disillusioned by faith, and so you walked away from faith. All I'm asking is... Would you just hang in there would you just lean in and hang in there with me for just a little while this morning I want us to think a little bit different about what, what what really is faith what is not just faith what is biblical faith I want us to think about that this morning to do that I want to start you with this phrase and this is a phrase from Hebrews now we talk we call it the book of Hebrews and I'll get I'll get to Romans in just a second we call it the book of Hebrews it's not really a book the book of Hebrews is almost really a long sermon we don't know exactly who the writer was we know that the writer of Hebrews was writing to Jewish Christians and really the writer of Hebrews was writing into Jewish Christians who had kind of come to faith in Christ, surrendered their life, true biblical faith in Christ, and were starting to wander away. Now think about it. Think in that context. Here's what the writer of Hebrews then says to them. In Hebrews chapter 12, he says, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Some of you had an older translation. You would remember this. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Listen, the, the champion who initiates and perfects our, here it is, faith. He perfects our faith. This is somebody who's writing to people who are starting to walk away from faith. And he tells them, listen, it's not about faith. It's about Jesus. I don't find, when I talk to people who have deconstructed faith and walked away from their faith, I almost never find somebody who has issue with Jesus. I think they have issue with pastors. I think they have an issue with church. I think they have issue with the way they were treated. I think they have issue with the way that we talk about faith. Nobody has issue with Jesus. and So he's saying, but keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the key. Now, look at your passage in Romans, and I'll walk you through this. And just from the very start, this is Romans chapter 9. Now, here's what's interesting. We've talked about this. Paul is in this this dialogue with himself almost. So he's writing to these believers in Rome. It's a church he's never been to. He won't get there until about three years after he writes it. And these are believers, Gentile believers, just simply meaning non-Jewish, and Jewish believers. And Paul has been asking some questions, and he's just answering them himself because he's saying, look, I'm writing to these folks, and they've never seen me before, and I know that they're going to have a reaction to that. So Paul asks the questions to get out in front of everybody, and then he answers them. So his first question is this, now, is this blessing, we'll come back to that, is this blessing only for the Jews, or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentile? Again, Gentile is anybody who's non-Jew to them. And he saying, is this blessing? What's the blessing? Well, what's Paul been talking about all through Romans? He's talking about the great blessing is that you and I, get ready for this, can be made right with the creator of the universe. Now, stop and think about this. Here's what we know about God and God's most written about attribute in all of the scriptures. It's God is holy. Okay. Holy means you cannot tolerate sin. You and I, on the other hand, children of Adam, we were born into sin. Okay. God's going to have a problem with that. We can't be right with God because we're sinful. Right. What we found out from Paul is simply by, and this is not that simple, but simply by placing our faith in Christ, by confessing our sin, by surrendering our lives, we can now, just by that faith, be made right with God. It's not something we have to do. It's not some code. You don't have to know a secret handshake. And Paul's saying, this is the blessing. The blessing is that you and I can be Right with God. Now think about this: you have a really good friend, really good friend. Maybe it's a family member, but it's a really close friends. Somebody you're really tight with, and all of a sudden they do something out of the blue and they just offend you, and you're ticked. Like they just they went way over the line, and you're angry with them, and it is not right. It's not right between the two of you now. And finally, they come to you and they acknowledge it and they say they're sorry. And you, you know how? Have you ever done that? Like all of a sudden everything is just right. Like everything is right between you. There's no friction. Right? There's no tension between you. You guys are right. Like You get along and you have friendship and everything is right again. That's exactly what he's talking about. That we can be right. We can be made right with a holy God, even though we're sinners, by placing our faith in Christ. Paul says that's the blessing. Well, he's asking the question, is that blessing only for the Jews? Because we know this from reading the scripture. The Jews were God's chosen ones, his favored ones. That's the nation he chose. He's saying, is, that, is this blessing of being made right with God, is it only for the chosen ones, or is it for everybody else? Now, he's going to answer the question, and then we'll pick that apart just a little bit. He says, well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. Now, the argument that Paul is going to go on to make is not really the point we're making, but the argument that Paul is going to go on to make is like, look, Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. Long before he was ever circumcised. Because to a Jew, the mark of faith was that you were circumcised. Paul, uh, Paul is telling us, Abraham was made right with God 14 years before he was ever circumcised. Not only was it 14 years before he was circumcised, it's 430 years before the Jewish law was even given. The point is very clear. He wasn't made right by what he did. He was made right because of his faith. And I think what's interesting to note is if you look in your Bible, if you start at verse 9 and you go through the end of the chapter, which is only 25 verses, so there are only 16 verses left, Paul uses this word for faith 16 more times before you get to the end of the chapter. Okay, if Abraham was made right because of his faith, And if being made right with God is the great blessing, if everything counts on faith, and Paul continues to say faith and to say faith and to say faith, I think faith is the big idea here. And I think we need to have a good understanding of faith. Not faith. We need to have a really good understanding of biblical faith. Biblical faith is what we want to walk out here today understanding. And maybe you'll leave here today and you'll think differently about faith, and it'll cause you to live differently. And maybe you'll leave here today and you'll say, you know what? This was going to be my last Sunday. I, became, I came to church today only because my spouse wanted me to be there. I came today only because my, my, my parents wanted me to be there. And I'm hoping that God will say, no, no, no. Maybe you thought about faith wrong. Maybe you thought wrongly about faith. Maybe you defined it incorrectly. So we're going to look at what faith is. In order for us to really understand effectively what faith is, I actually think because we have so many preconceived ideas that it's very important that we understand what faith is not. And that's where we're going to start. So let me give you some things about faith that faith is not. Number one, faith is not purely cognitive. And I say this all the time. It's not just like, oh, I believe that. That's not what biblical faith is. Biblical faith isn't just that, oh, I believe there's a God. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, writes this to us from his letter. He says, you say you have faith. There's that word. Now, this is James speaking. You say you have faith, and the reason you say that is because you believe that there's a God, that there's one God. You believe that. And so now you have faith. Right. Watch what he goes on to say. Well done. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. It's not enough just to believe it. Faith is not just like, oh, I believe there's a God. That's not biblical faith. It's not purely cognitive. It's not enough to just say, yeah, I think there's a God. That's not biblical faith. It's not purely cognitive. Here's another thing that it's not. It's not a formula. And I think this confuses a lot of people. In other words, faith is this. I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. And maybe this means I go to church, and I, and I, and I serve at my church once in a while, and I, I'm nice to people, and I drop some money in the bucket once in a while. And now because I've worked this formula, this formula of faith, now God kind of owes me. And so now I need something, and I want something. I want a job. I want to get married. I just want a date. And so I, I'm doing the, the, these things. Now when I pray and I ask God for that, God kind of owes me. And so... That that's a really disillusioned faith. And so what happens is when you don't get your prayer answered and you don't get what you want, now you're ticked and you walk away from faith. Again, I don't think most people walk away from God. That's not a biblical God. That, that, that's, that, that God has never been has never been described really in the Bible. But I think faith leads us down that path sometimes. It's not a formula. It's also not a, a Kevlar vest. Faith isn't some Kevlar vest where, again, if you go, I did this, I did this, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And now this terrible thing happened to me, and we're totally disillusioned. Listen, the argument for God has never been made that there must be a God because bad things don't happen to good people. That argument has never been made for, for the existence of God. And actually, if you think about it, if bad things don't happen to good people, there would be no Christianity because the best person who ever walked the face of the earth had the worst thing ever happened to him. Faith isn't a Kevlar vest where I do this, 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 and this, and then bad things won't happen to me, right? Listen, this is is such an interesting, some of you will know Oswald Chambers, you'll know that name, and he says this, faith for my deliverance. Now let me just stop there. Faith for a deliverance, faith that God's going to heal me, faith that God's going to take care of this. That's not faith in God. Faith means whether I'm visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. And there are some things that can only be learned in a fiery furnace. And you know what he's referring there. He's alluding to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you don't know that, that's a a story that we learned when we were kids. If you grew up in the church, the Israelites were taken captive by the Babylonians. Daniel was one of them. And we read about him in the book of Daniel. We read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were three Jews, and those weren't their original names, but they had them changed. And the king of Babylon said this, you will now bow to our gods. And they said, we ain't bowing to your gods. He said, Well, you bow to our God when the trumpet blows, or we're gonna throw you into fire, into you know, this big furnace. And this is what they said. Our God is able to save us, but even if He doesn't, we're not bowing to your God. See, there's some things that can only be learned in the fiery furnace. And they were thrown into the furnace, and God spared them. See, that 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 that's biblical faith. Biblical faith is, is not some kind of Kevlar vest it's also not a feeling it's not an emotion and I think some people have walked away from faith because they're like I just don't feel all hyped up and I don't feel this real emotional thing and 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 especially as we compare ourselves well they always seem like they're jacked up and they're all excited and I'm like half the time they're faking it don't worry (laughs) right that's not faith faith isn't a feeling it's not an emotion and so you walked away from faith because you went I don't feel that Hey, newsflash, everybody, I don't feel it a lot of days when I wake up. God is still real. God isn't based on my feelings. God isn't based on my emotions. That's not biblical faith. And we walk away from God because of all these crazy things. It's also not blind. You and I don't believe God because of blind faith. Blind faith is you saying, I'm going to step off the building, and I just think gravity is going to cease to exist, and I'll be good. And I say, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, here's another one for you. Have you ever thought about this? We don't believe in God because of faith. Just stop for a minute. We don't believe in God because of faith. We believe in God because of the evidence. There is more than substantial evidence to believe. I know, this is going to sound crazy to you. There's more than substantial evidence to believe that after three days of being dead in a tomb, Jesus walked out of there and came to life. Now, you can say, well, you can't prove it. I know I can't prove it. I know it's not scientific proof. I'm saying there's so much evidence. If you really want to have an objective conversation, the points to the fact that Jesus actually walked out the him. He was seen by over 500 witnesses at one time. He was seen by hundreds of people and he walked the earth and that's why in the first century it changed the world because there were eyewitnesses walking around who said that faith isn't blind and sometimes you think, well, I I just have to sign on for this blind faith and I can't do that because I've got a brain and so you walk away from faith. Becoming a Christian and having real biblical faith doesn't mean you check your brain, right? It's not blind And, and lastly, I'll just say this and I hope you hear this loud and clear, it's not the absence of doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt, right? Deuteronomy, I love this, 29, 29, says this, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. The ancients and even Orthodox Christians today are so comfortable with the fact that faith is a mystery. It was fun because we were at Alpha the other night and we were kind of talking about some of these things and we had questions and somebody asked me a question about the Trinity, if you're, if you're familiar with the doctrine of the Trinity. Three, it's not that sometimes God acts like the Father and sometimes he acts like the Son and sometimes he act, No, no, that's called modalism. That's, that's biblical heresy. True biblical faith says three separate, distinct persons in one. Neil, explain that. I don't have a clue. <laughs> I can give you all the cute little statements and cute little analogies. I can't explain it. It's why I say, help me out. When I get to heaven, the first place I'm going is... The info booth, baby, that's where I'm headed. I got questions, man. Faith is a mystery. The Lord God has secrets known to no one. There was a, a bishop in England in the mid-1900s, J.A.T. Robinson. I love it. He says this, the act of faith is a constant dialogue with doubt. Some of you would know the name Tim Keller. And I, I clipped this out. Tim's a pastor in New York. He's a powerful voice for Christianity in, in America. He's one of the really great guys. And he says this, A faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies. Love that. He goes on, he says, People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she fails over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. You got doubts? You don't need to walk away from faith. I'm the pastor of the church, everybody. Cut this part off the camera. I have (laughs) doubts. I have doubts. The fact that you have doubts doesn't mean that you need to walk away from faith. You're like the rest of us who are honest. Come on, like, things happen and we're like, I'm sorry, what? We read things in the Bible and we go, I'm sorry, what? Intelligent people would go, that's interesting. I'd like to investigate that. If you're my age, you're older, and I don't, I'm at the age now where I don't identify people like that. Because I used to always say, am I right? We used to always go, well, I think they're about our age. And people are like, oh. you know, like <laughs> we, don't, we don't say that anymore. But if you're my age, you're older, I'm the very last year of the baby boom. And so I don't really identify with boomers because I'm the very last year, but I don't really identify with Xers. If you're a boomer or older, boomers were the last generation. When you told us stuff, we just went, well, then I guess that's the way it is. Like when we asked questions and people would just say, our parents, the builders, they would just always say, well, that's the way we do it, mister. And we're like, well, I guess so. Or without even knowing, they would just go, well, the Bible says it and that settles it. And they didn't really know. And our generation just went, Okay, all right then. Gen Xers came along, and my generation, the boomers, and the generation ahead of me, the builders, were extremely threatened. And the reason is because when they had questions, we didn't know the answers. And the reason we didn't know the answers is because we never investigated. I love the fact that Gen Xers came along and started questioning. I love the millennials question. I love the Gen Z question because I always say this. If you haven't wrestled with it, you can't own it. Wrestle with faith, man. If you have doubts, you don't need to walk away. Truth is, you're the overwhelming vast majority of us because we all have doubts and we all have questions. It reminds me of the father in Mark chapter 9. He was the father of a demon-possessed boy, and his boy would harm himself. He'd throw himself into fire, so he was doing that. And Jesus comes along, and and the father says to Jesus, Heal my boy. Cast the demon out of him. And Jesus said, If you only believe. I love it in Mark 9. The father says, you notice I didn't do that? Okay. But this just resonates with me. I just love this stuff. This resonates with me. The Father says, I believe, help my unbelief. Like, can we just be honest sometimes? Can we just talk like that? Like, man, I'm not saying I'm throwing away faith, and we, we're not going to be threatened because you have a question, but, but it, it's just not, right? So we know this. Biblical faith isn't just cognitive. It's not just a belief. It's not a formula. It's not a shield. It's not a feeling. It's not blind. It's not the absence of doubt. That's not what biblical faith is. All right. What is biblical faith? Well, we're not going back to Romans because this is just too easy. I'm going to take you to the book of Hebrews again. This writer who's writing to Jewish believers who, who are kind of stranded. They're walking away. So in the chapter before where we've read Hebrews before, he says this. In Hebrews 11, he says, now faith is. Buckle up. This writer is going to tell us. This writer is going to define faith for us. Isn't that refreshing? Now watch what he says because this is so good. And, and by the way, let me, let me just, let me, we've been through this over the last couple of weeks, but I, I want to just spell this out again because I think this is so important because words are so powerful. This word faith is the Greek word pistis, and we've been through this a number of times. But I want to show you something today because this is where we're headed, and it's going to give you the big idea. That this word pistis, can be, it can be um, translated as faith it can be belief it can be faithfulness meaning an ongoing it's trust we've talked about trust several weeks now trust is you you man you don't if if you'd say neil this thing can hold your weight i don't say Oh, I believe you. I trust it. I trust it. No, it means I get up. You don't want to see this, but I would get up on, you know, the whole thing. That's trust. If I really trust, it, I put my full weight on it. That's trust. It's defined as allegiance or devotion. Now get ready, and this is something you might want to write down because it, this is so significant. It implies, this word pisses, implies that actions based on that trust will follow. That's faith. Faith means I believe it so much that my actions are going to resemble it. You're going to see this in my actions. My actions will, will bear it out. And so he says this. Now faith is, and then he goes out to spell out, it's confidence in what we hope for. He just starts there. Confidence in what we hope for. Confidence is this idea of trust again. But hope is wanting something to be with no guarantee. That's hope. Hope is, man, I want it to be that way, there's no guarantee. And he's saying faith is confidence, a trust in wanting something to be that has no guarantee. And then he's going to go on and repeat. He, so he's going, to, he's going to make the same point, but he's going to use a slightly different phrase. And it's assurance about we do not see, about what we do not see. It's this confidence. It's this assurance that, 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 of, of what I want to be that has no guarantee. So I'm going I'm to just give you my working definition now because we know it has to have action to it. It's implied. So this is kind of my working definition of faith. It's when hope so becomes confident that something will be so in a manner that causes you to do so. See, that's biblical Faith. That's not the convoluted, I have faith in the Vikings, I have faith in it's not going to snow. No, no, no. It's not that kind of faith. It's, it's not a faith that you maybe walked away from. or it's, a, it's not a faith that you're teetering on even now right this morning. It's not a faith that you're thinking about walking. This is biblical faith. It's hope so becomes confident something will be so in a manner that causes you to do so. Hope so leads to a confidence that something's going to be so that causes you to do so. That's biblical faith. Now watch this, because the writer of Hebrews is going to spell this out for us. The rest of the entire chapter, some of you know this, that the letter to the Hebrews is oftentimes, and when you get to chapter 11, it's called the Faith Hall of Fame. you got to see this. you got to watch what this guy's going to do. you just got to lean in for it. you got to watch this, because you're going to see it in action. Watch this when he gets down to verse 4. He says, it was, here it is, by faith, by faith, Abel. Remember Cain and Abel, they're the sons of Adam and Eve. Abel Did what? Brought. Okay, is brought a noun or is it a verb? It's a verb. By faith, verb. He brought. He did something. What? He brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Now watch this when you get to verse 7. It was, here it is, by faith that Noah did what? He built. Is built a noun or a verb? It's a verb. It's action. By faith, It action. It it leads me to do so. And what did he do? He built a large boat to save his family from the flood. Watch in the very next verse. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed. Is obey a noun or verb? It's a verb. It's action. It leads you to do so. And what did he do when he obeyed? Well, when God, he left, when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He left his father. He left his father's land. He went down into the land where God called him. Right. He believed. Pistis. He thought that something was going to be so, and so he went and did so. Right. I mean, this is biblical faith. Now, just so you know this, sometimes God calls us to do things, and out of obedience, we just do them. And sometimes you don't get to see the end game. You don't get to see the, 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 the product. You, don't, you won't get to see the finished product. So let's stick with Abraham just for a second, because God initially made Abraham, when he called him in Genesis chapter 12, he calls Abraham, says, I want you to leave your father's land. I want you to go down to the place where I'm calling you. And then God makes him a promise. Now, just out of curiosity, if you're here this morning and you knew the name Abraham before you came to church this morning, raise your hand. Raise it up high. Just raise it up. Raise it up. Now look. Now look. Get your hands up high. Look all over the room. Tons of people. Tons of people. Right? Got it? Hold on to that thought. You can put your hands down. Watch this. Here's the promise. I'll make you into a great nation. Stop. Did he make Abraham into a great nation? It's not a trick question. Yes or no? Do you know anybody else who got made into a nation? And he didn't just get made into one nation because Abraham is also the father to the Arabs through Ishmael and to the Arab nations. God kept his word, right? It it became so eventually. He says, I'll bless you. I don't know if you're made into a nation, I figure you're pretty blessed. And he says, I'll make you famous. How many people raised their hands and you knew the name of Abraham, right? 4,000 years later, halfway across the globe, in a place called Bloomington, Minnesota, almost a thousand people raised their hands. Because God's word is God's word. Because God can be trusted, because God is faithful. And he says, you will be a blessing to others. How is Abraham a blessing to others? Folks, that's what Christmas time was all about. Because through Abraham's line came the Messiah Jesus, our Savior. We've all been blessed. Now, Abraham didn't get to see this one. He didn't get to see that. And I don't know that he got to see that his name was famous, but God's word is God's word. There's evidence. It's not blind faith. And are you telling me that in all these stories nobody had doubts? Are you telling me Noah's out there banging away on an ark for a flood, and he never once went, if it doesn't rain, man, I'm gonna look stupid. I think he (laughs) said that. I absolutely believe he said that. You tell me Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hopped into the fiery furnace and weren't a little afraid? You think they didn't have doubts? Oh, I promise you they did. You think Abraham didn't leave the land of his father and go down to a foreign place where God called him? You don't think he had any doubts? You're crazy. You're crazy. Of course they did. I'm just saying, right, there's no need to walk away from faith because you have doubts. I think doubts are healthy. I I think you need to have some doubts. I, I just think... I think it's being real. So let me give you the big so what this morning. Big so what is this. Biblical faith is not just a noun. Biblical faith is also a verb. It's a verb. Now, this is going to be the tricky part. And if you're a guest or a visitor, I don't want you to think that we're some church of heresy. And if you're watching online, I don't want you to think, and I don't want this to be controversial, but there's actually two big so-whats this morning. Everybody take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath. Just relax for a minute. Just, here's your second one. Biblical faith isn't something you have. Biblical faith is something you live. Now, at the risk of being really controversial, This I promise you, and the board knows nothing about this, so don't go after our board. <laughs> but there's actually a third big so what this morning. because Just couldn't decide. We couldn't, couldn't figure it out. But I want you to get it from different angles. Here's the third one. Ready for this? Faith isn't the absence of doubt or understanding. That's not faith. Faith is the presence of hope that leads to doing. Here's the beauty of it. You get to pick your own big so what today. I'm hoping that you'll hear this this morning. And I just want want to encourage you. And I just want, you, I want to give a couple things for you to, to think about. Number one, man, if you're one of those people who just said, ah, I don't really do faith because I don't 100% buy into it all. You know, as we were talking in that meeting. I thought that was so good for me to understand. If you think of a giant trampoline, right, big round trampoline, and it's got how many springs, these big springs that come. Can you pull one spring and still jump on the trampoline? Heck, Yeah. It's all right. You could probably pull a third of them and be just fine. If you think Christianity means you got to have all the ducks in a row and you got to know all the answers, uh-uh. you just don't. That—that's not biblical faith. You can have a doubt. You can have a question in there. I just say explore it. I love questions. I think I think we ask questions. We explore faith so that we can own it. So I'd say if you're one of those people who just says, "Man, I I couldn't I couldn't I, I couldn't really enter into the Christian faith because because I don't 100% understand everything, or I have an occasional doubt. Maybe I can't stick around as a Christian anymore. Maybe it's time for me to leave church, because I, I just have a question, I have a doubt. You're in the right place. And this place is safe, and you can ask questions, and you can bring your d- doubts in. It's all good. This is what we do. We wrestle with faith. So number one, if that's you this morning, you just say, man, I just, I just don't know if I could do the faith thing. I don't know if I can do Christianity. I, I, I just, I, I don't have all the answers. I, 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 don't, I, I have some doubts. Don't worry about it. You're like the rest of us. And here's the other thing I just want to tell you. And, and I just want to cast a little vision. I just want you to think about this for a little bit this morning. Stop and think about this. I love the picture of the early church. If you look at the early church, man, Christ dies and the whole thing's over. And it was all for naught. And it was the biggest waste of time. And then three days later, he rises from the dead. Folks start seeing him, and they're witnessing him. And it lit the world on fire. And the people in that area at that time, when the disciples were speaking up about their faith, they said, who are these men who are turning the world upside down? Christianity is persecuted like never before. It's unbelievable. In fact, did you know this? All the disciples were killed for their faith except Judas, who hung himself, and the other one was John. Do you know why they didn't kill John? John died in exile on the island, Patmos. He died there. He had been exiled. Because every time they killed a Christian, Christianity just kept blowing up bigger and bigger. And they're like, psst, we cannot kill anymore. Just time out. He just gets a giant time out. That's what they did. And even though the persecution, you know what happened? Christianity just continued to grow and grow and grow and influence. You know why? Because Christian folks were just loving each other, and they were loving other people, and they were taking care of folks. When you get to the year 313, you have the edict of Milan. Constantine is now the emperor in Rome, right? He did away with all the tetrarchs, all the other positions, and just went, I'm the emperor now. And he's the emperor over the entire Roman Empire. And about ten years, in 313, he, he had the edict of Milan, and he declared that it was okay now. It's okay to be a Christian. We're not going to kill Christians. Ten years later, this is crazy to me. Ten years later, he's not, he's not a follower of Jesus. He's not. But he declares Christianity, the, the, the religion of the entire empire. And you know why? This is why. He's not a follower of Jesus. Constantine said this, we got to unite the empire. And so he found the one thing that he thought everyone agreed on. That Jesus... Rose from the dead. That's why Constantine declared it the the empire's religion. And it was all because Christians are just living the Christian. They didn't even have a Bible yet. They didn't have the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. They They didn't have a New Testament, they didn't have that yet. Right? Christians were just loving each other. They were just loving other people. They were just taking care of folks. Man, come on, what if we did that? Like what if we started living it? Because faith is living. What if we started living our faith? What if we stopped having faith? And what if we started living faith? Are you kidding me? Our country is so ripe. I saw, your, I saw your newsletter, I saw what's going on at St. Thomas. Brother, that's that's everywhere right now. People are just ripe, they're ready for God. They are asking for it. Okay, what if we just stepped into the gap and lived out the Christian faith? What if we lived it? It will change the world. Right, we we gotta live our faith. We gotta live our faith. Can can you just leave? I don't care if you got a big. So what? I don't care if you got anything else. Can you just walk out here and go? I gotta live my faith. Should be visible. Should be visible. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this morning. We love you. We love you, Father. We love you. We praise you. And uh, man, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you've spoken to me the last two three weeks as I've been working on this. And I'm praying that your Holy Spirit spoke this this morning to our church. God, I'm praying that we would live. Holy Spirit, fill us, fill us, fill us, fill us. A fresh and a new Holy Spirit, fill us. Let it just overflow. Let it come out of us. Empower us. You've gifted us. Now empower us. Those gifts were to be used for your glory. You have filled us with your spirit so that we would be empowered to be your witnesses. God, would we do that?